So if you take out your Bibles, if you have them with you, um, and turn to, we're going to be in a couple of different passages um, tonight. Um, I see they don't have the clock on. So I know that most of the time when Scott takes off his watch, it doesn't mean anything, but it does for me. So I just want you to know that. So and you can tell him I said that. So I also noticed that this, I was wondering if he was leaving this like this for me as a, as a trick podium or something, but we'll see. Um, maybe in our budget we can fix the podium for him, but... Uh, but if you'll turn in your Bibles uh, first to Numbers chapter 23. So the book of Numbers uh, chapter 23. Uh, a number of months ago as I was doing my uh, daily reading, um, I was reading through the Old Testament. And uh, it, you know something struck me as I was reading through about the Israelites. Um, and a lot of times we give the Israelites a hard time uh, because of what they did. But of course we have the whole picture. We have the beginning and the end, whereas, you know, they struggled a lot through a lot of different things. But the more you study the Israelites, the more you can also see how we also do similar things or make similar uh, decisions. And so right now in Sunday school, we're actually going through uh, the book of Exodus. And so we've been studying a lot about the plagues and, uh, you know, uh, it's those things that's, you know, very wonderful about the Bible is no matter how many times you study something... Each time you study it, you learn something new, and God reveals something new to you, and that's the beauty of God's Word. And so as we've been going through the plagues, you know, it's amazing that, uh, you know, the power that God was showing, you know, it seemed like the, the Egyptians had gods for everything. You know, they had gods for frogs, they had gods for cattle, they had gods for bulls, they had gods for sun, um, as well as for the earth and, and other gods. And so each of these plagues, one of the things that I've learned, and, and God's taught me through teaching this uh, Exodus again, is that he continued to show his power over each of their gods. So all the ones that they really valued, he continued to show his superiority. And so as you read through some of the plagues, especially like the plague of the hail and some of the other plagues, it was storms and other uh, occurrences like they'd never had before and like would never happen again. So the Israelites are experiencing all of this and now we're just going to kind of jump ahead to after they've already, you know, left uh, Egypt. And so they found all the, they've been wandering, um, and of course a lot of different areas of disobedience as you get to Numbers 33. But to give that background of how amazing God uh, showed them his power in Egypt and along the way till this point, but yet they still faltered. And there were still things that even though they were told to do, they still did not do. And so tonight, just the, uh, the lesson's more around, you know, the importance of obedience and leaving a legacy. Uh, because all of us leave a legacy of some type. And it's important to do our best to leave a good legacy. So if you look at, we're going to look at a couple of commands that they were given in Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then we're going to look at a couple of their, what might be termed failures, and then their results. And then, you know, close with how we can apply that to our lives as well. So if you look at Numbers 33, picking up at verse 50, and it says, On the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance, and to a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it according to your ancestral tribes. 
But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live, and then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. Okay? So they're getting ready to go in and take possession of the land of Canaan. And what's the command that God gives them in this passage? Yep, drive out the inhabitants. And he pretty much makes it very, very clear. He says, drive out what? Some of the inhabitants, a few of them. He says, drive out all of them, okay? And that's important later in the story. And then he says, destroy all their carved images, their cast idols, and demolish all their high places, okay? Or, if you look at the last part of that scripture, 55 and 56, if they don't, what's going to happen? Yeah, they're going to become, I don't know if what your translation may say, but mine says they will become barbs in your eyes or thorns in your sides. Okay? So the first command that they were told before they went into the land of Canaan was, once you get there, you need to destroy all the inhabitants and you need to destroy all the images or this is going to happen. So turn in your Bibles then over to Deuteronomy, the next, uh, the next book. I don't know on average on Wednesday nights if Scott has you... T- Uh, turn to a lot of different passages, but we'll be going to a few today. So if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. So Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. And again, this is towards the end when Moses is not going to cross over with them, but he's given them directions. He says, and this is a familiar passage, I'm sure. See, I set before you today life and prosperity Death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Okay, so the first command back in Numbers was for them to destroy all the inhabitants. What was the second command as part of this scripture? What is he telling them? Yeah, definitely that they're supposed to love the Lord their God. And again, he's saying, do not worship other idols, do not worship other gods, worship me only. Okay, so turn back a few chapters to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then I promise I'll give you a break for a few minutes. So turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Did any of you ever grow up doing sword drills or Bible drills? I did too, so we did that a lot. So, so uh, getting some practice tonight. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm sure this is a familiar passage to you as well. If you look at chapter 6, verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then if you skip over to verse 20 in the same chapter, it says, In the future, when your son asks you, 
What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Okay? So the third command is for them to impress this upon their children, impress them upon their families. What do you think it means when it says impress? In some translations, it may say teach diligently to your children. What are they supposed to be teaching their children? Yeah. Yeah, when you think back to, like, as I mentioned earlier, the plagues and how God had delivered them, you know, one of the key points is not only was God, through the plagues, not only was he showing his superiority to the Egyptian gods and to the the Egyptian people, but he was also showing to the Israelites how powerful he was and how he was going to take care of them and how he was delivering them and reminding them of that. So the three commands, if you look across Numbers, these, Numbers uh, 33, Deuteronomy 30, and Deuteronomy 6. The first one is to, once you get in the land, destroy all the inhabitants, all their gods, all their idols. The second is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to follow his commands. And then the third is to teach your children. And basically, don't forget. So that's one of the things that, uh, those are the three commands. Now, they went into the land of, uh, they went into the land of Canaan. And as you know, what was the first city they went to? Do you remember? Jericho. So they went to Jericho, and they, um, you know, they marched around it and followed God's commands, and, you know, the spies went in, of course, before that. And so then what happened, though? What was the one piece of the story of Jericho that was a potential failure for the Israelites? Do you remember? Do you remember what... uh, do you remember the guy's name? What was the guy's name that took some of the devoted things? Achan, okay? So do you remember what he took? By any chance, anybody remember? Yeah, he took a robe, he took five pounds of silver, and he took a wedge of gold weighing one and a half pounds, okay? So as you know the story, they marched around Jericho, the walls came tumbling down, and they were told to destroy everything. And Achan decided not to, okay? Now, you think about it. If they destroyed a whole city, you know, and he took one robe, five pounds of silver, and one and a half, you know, a a wedge of gold or a bar of gold, one and a half pounds, you know, is that really that big of a deal? I mean, it's not a lot of stuff compared to probably what was all in that city. So was it a big deal? Right. Because, you know, in today's culture, they would probably look at that saying, oh, well, that's just a little bit. You know, but think about all the other stuff that they did. You know, it's, it's like we like to play the odds or the percentages. It's like, well, you know, look at how much they did destroy. They just didn't destroy this little bit, you know, but still it wasn't 100% obedience to God. So then what happened after that? Remember the Israelites then after their, after their victory in Jericho, they were going to take Ai. They were going to battle Ai. And if you remember, even the spies there said, well, let's just send some of the men, we don't have to send all the men because it's not as big a city and we don't have to worry about it. So then do you remember what happened in that story? They lost. 
they lost. So very first thing, they were defeated, okay? And then, of course, then the Israelites came back, and Joshua and everyone, you know, started praying, repenting, sackcloth, everything. And then, of course, it was revealed to them that somebody had taken something. And, of course, you know the story that, you know, they cast lots, and then it, it came to Achan, and they said, you know, confess what you've done. And he said, here's the things that I did, okay? And then what did they have to do? Yeah. So basically then they had to, to rid the people of, of the sin. Okay? So that was the first failure. But turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. So that was just, you know, that was just a little, you know, compared to, you know, our culture today, they would say, well, that was just a little hiccup. You know, it was just one person who did this. And most of the people did what was, you know, what was right. Now, as it continues to, to move forward, of course, then after... Uh, the sin was dealt with, and they were able to conquer Ai, and then they started the conquest of Canaan. Now, if you remember the story of the Gibeonites, that's in Joshua chapter 9. This is the second failure, okay? So the Gibeonites, you know, if you look at verse 1, it says, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country and the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Great Sea as far as Lebanon, and then it lists some kings, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. And it says, however, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse, okay? And if you remember the story, they then, you know, put on like old clothes, they, uh, they had wineskins that were cracked, they had molded bread, and they came to Joshua, and what did they say? Do you remember the story? They, yeah, they said, we've traveled from a long distance, we've heard about your God, and we want to make a treaty with you, Okay? Now, if you look through the, the chapter there, as you move a little further along, it says in verse 8, but Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And that's when they, they go ahead and say. And so then from that perspective, it says in verse 14 and 15, this is the key, the men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not what? Inquire from the Lord, or inquire of the Lord. Okay. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Okay? So basically, they, they said, we've come from a long way. Our wineskins are, you know, are old. Our food's moldy and everything else. And so the Israelites went, checked it, and said, okay, well, they must be telling the truth. But they did not inquire of the Lord. Okay? Now, when they got defeated with Ai, they came back and inquired of the Lord, and the Lord revealed to them what had happened and what needed to be done. But in this situation, they decided to just make their own decision based on what they saw, okay? And then, of course, you know the rest of the story. Joshua then finds out, and as a result, it said in verse, uh, there at the end of the chapter, if you look at verse 26, it says, so Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them, okay? Now, what was God's first command back in Numbers 33? Kill them all, Okay? But because Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord and they were tricked, he decided to save them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. They made them woodcutters and water carriers for the community. Okay? So already they're starting to, you know, there's cracks in the foundation. First, Achan started a little bit, and then with the Gibeonites, it became a much bigger crack in the foundation, and, you know, all of a sudden now they're letting the Gibeonites live. Okay? So then if you look on to Joshua chapter 24... Joshua chapter 24, and of course we're skipping quite a few chapters and you know the stories of 
the conquest and continuing to take over the land of Canaan and everything else. But if you look at Joshua chapter 24, verses 19 through 24, okay? And this is where Joshua is renewing, uh, renewing the covenant and right after his farewell to the leaders. And he says, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away what? The foreign gods, okay? So where did they get the foreign gods? If, if they're obeying God, and, you know, it kind of started with Achan, then the Gibeonites, and then they've been doing the con- going through the conquest of Canaan, and God's been blessing them along that time. How did they get foreign gods? From the inhabitants, okay? So that goes back to Deuteronomy 30, the second command that we talked about. Loving the Lord your God, do not worship other gods. And back in Numbers 33, it specifically, he specifically said, destroy all their gods. So sometimes we kind of skip over that as we're reading through the farewell address, but it's an important point because at some point throughout this process, they may have been destroying some of the peoples, they may have been conquering, but then they were keeping some of the foreign gods, okay? And so that's why it says, Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Okay? So it continues again, just slowly but surely, they continue to make some, make some uh, bad decisions. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just uh, briefly, because you, know, you might think, well, the one situation was just Achan. You know, the situation with the Gibeonites, really, Joshua should have inquired of the Lord. You know, and you know, today, a lot of times people are looking to place the blame on, on different groups. But if you look through all the different tribes, and that's what I'll read briefly for you for a couple of the verses, each of the tribes also had their part. It wasn't just one tribe or two tribes. It was all the tribes that weren't following God, as they should have been. So you don't have to turn to it, but in uh, Joshua 13, verse 13... It says, it says, but the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Makkah, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. Okay? Then if you, then in Joshua fifteen sixty three, it says, it says, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Okay? And then if you go on, and there's several other passages, you know, Joshua 16.10, it talks about Ephraim not driving out some of the Canaanites. Uh, Joshua 17 talks about Manasseh, that there was, you know, quite a few different Canaanites that lived in different towns, and they didn't drive them out. In Judges 1.21, um, it actually says that Benjamin, again, did not drive out the Jebusites. And then if you turn to Judges chapter 1, and we'll finish in Judges 1 and, and, ver- and chapter 2 here in just a second, But in Judges 1, there's kind of a listing that I want you to see. Because again, as we're going into, you know, my my Bible kind of titles the first part of Judges as the Israel fights the remaining Canaanites. So if you look at Judges chapter 1, and then you go to verse 21, or I'm sorry, verse 30, it says, Neither did Zebulun 
drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahalal, who remained among them, but they did they but they did subject them to forced labor. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Akko or Sidon or Alab or Exib or Helba or Aphek or Rehob. And because of this, the people of Asher lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. Neither did Naphtali, in verse 33, neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath, but the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land, and those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, so the tribe of Dan didn't drive out the Amorites, not allowing them to come down into the plain. And the Amorites were determined also to hold out in Mount Herez, Ajalon, and Shalbim. But when the power of the house of Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. Okay? So back in Joshua, if we had, gone, if we had turned to every verse, and then here in, in Judges, pretty much every tribe is not driving out the people that they should drive out. And that goes all the way back to one of the last commandments that Moses gave them was that they should drive out all the inhabitants. Now, if we think about this in today's culture, what would be the rationale of these tribes? What would people try to rationalize away? Well, yeah, we didn't drive them out, but what? What do you think? Yeah, we didn't fully obey, but we did some, but what? What does it say that each of the tribes did to the people that were left? Yeah, several times it says, but they made them woodcutters, they made them, they put them into forced labor. And so I'm sure if you talk to the Israelites back then, they would likely say, well, yeah, we didn't completely follow God's word. You know, we obeyed part of it, but we made them forced labor. But we made them subject to us. You know, how many times, you know, before we are too hard on the Israelites, how many times is, is that in our lives or people that we deal with? It's like, yeah, I didn't do this, but I didn't do that. Or at least I did this versus that. And that's the key is that so many times it's hard to remember that, you know, just a little bit of disobedience is still disobedience. Okay? So then if uh, finally, then it's kind of like, well, what's the result of all this? You know, evidently the Israelites have some idols that they had to get rid of. They were told from the very beginning, destroy all the inhabitants and then, you know, follow God. And then the third commandment was what? The third one that we talked about in Deuteronomy 6. What were they to do? Teach their children, okay? And this, I think, is the saddest part of the whole story when you look across these couple of books. Turn to, turn to Judges 2, and we're going to read the first few verses. It says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land but you shall break down their altars, okay? So reminding them of what they were supposed to do. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. Okay, so here in Judges 2, it's the exact same thing that Moses told them in Numbers 33. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud and they called that place, welcome. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Okay, now I know there's a break in, in my scripture. There's a break here between the next few verses. But okay, so the angel of the Lord comes to them and says, all right, you have not done this. You did not drive them out like I told you. And now they're going to be thorns in your side. Or as the, you know, the passage in Numbers says, barbs in your eyes. And they wept. So what do you think they might do then? If you were really sorry, what would you do? 
repent and change, okay? So you would think if they're really sorry, they would repent and change. Well, let's look over the next uh, few verses. It says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And then we learn that Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Ten Nathares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Okay, and this is the sad part in verse 10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up, what? Who did not know the Lord. Okay. All right, so it says, after that the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the bells. Okay? So it's the culmination of all these different things. And there was other things, too, that we could have touched on. But these were the ones that stood out to me when I was doing the, you know, as I was reading through these books, you know, back to back. Is that they had the commands. God told them what to do, what not to do through both Moses and then Joshua. And then an angel of the Lord came to them and Judges. And they were very sorry and they cried and and everything else, but evidently they didn't repent. Because then it says, the next generation grew up who didn't know the Lord. Okay, so that was the third command, was that they were supposed to impress all these things upon their children, tell them about all the wonderful things that God had done for them, all all the plagues, the power that he had shown. And unfortunately, a generation came along that didn't know anything about God. Okay, how is that a picture of our world today? You know, many times Scott has preached that it seems like, you know, and quite a few different folks have said, it feels like sometimes that we're only a generation away, you know, from what happens. You know, from, from you know, having a group of folks that don't know much about, about God's Word. And so that's the thing that kind of, as I was reading through this, you know, we all, you know, none of us are perfect. We're all going to disobey. But a couple of the points that I came across with was that we always need to keep our focus on obeying God, Okay. Had you told the Israelites back when Moses was talking to them in Numbers 33, this is what's going to happen. You know, Joshua and everyone else, you're going to go here, you're going to get, you know, someone's going to steal some things, and then you're going to lose, and then you're going to repent, and everything's going to be fine, and then you're going to be, um, you're going to be, you know, tricked by this group, and then this is going to happen, and then this, you know, this tribe, you're not going to do this, and this tribe, you're not going to do that. What would they probably have said to Moses at that point? What do you think? Would they have said, yes, you're right? Yeah, because, I mean, if, from that perspective, it's like if, if he had told them way back then that this is all the stuff that you're going to do, probably a lot of them would have been like, well, no, never. I mean, I'm sure Joshua, he would have probably been like, well, no, Moses, I've been watching you for all these years. You know, I've been your aide. I'm ready to lead them into the, the promised land, and I'm not going to be tricked by anybody because I'm going to stay close to God. And so I think that that's one thing is that, that we all need to kind of keep in mind is regardless of what we've done in the past, we always have to be on guard, you know, because there's plenty of times when, you know, you just kind of let a little something go and then it becomes a little bit bigger and then it becomes a little bit bigger and then it becomes a little bit bigger. And then before you know it, you're to a point that you never intended to be. So that's kind of one of the points. And that's the second point too, is leave a little crack in the door here or there or make a concession here or there. And it can lead down a path that we don't want to go. Okay? 
And unfortunately, that's a picture of our culture today. I mean, how many times in families or how many times in churches do we make one concession and then that leads to another concession or that leads to another concession? And that's why I think we're so blessed to have Scott because Scott's not going to make concessions. You know, he's going to preach God's word according to God's word. And, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of churches in our, um, in our area and in the different surrounding counties and you probably know many of the names and many of the stories, that had you told them they would end up where they are today, 50 years ago, they probably would have said, no way. There's no way. But they made concession after concession after concession, and that's the one thing that we have to all be mindful of. And then finally, it's imperative to teach our kids, our grandkids, those around us, how to follow God, and most importantly, show them how to follow God. Okay? Because after everything that God had done for them, in Egypt, and you thought, well, that would be something that would definitely be told generation after generation after generation. We see how quickly disobedience and the actions of the Israelites by not following that command actually led to a generation that doesn't know God. And that's the one thing that we have to be very mindful of these days. And sometimes it feels like, I'm sure for many of you as grandparents, some of you as parents, it almost feels like an uphill battle. You know, when you're dealing with, with the kids and you hear about all the different kids that they meet with and and talk with, and I know one of the um, one of the youth that just graduated. She went to orientation this week to meet her. Um, actually, went to meet her roommate, and her roommate is a practicing witch. And so you would think, like, what in the world? And it's like, yeah. And, and they were like, well, what do you believe? And she's like, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe this. So needless to say, they prayed about it. She and her parents, and they decided to ask for a different roommate. But I mean, you think about like years and years ago when I went to college, you would hardly ever run across somebody who would want to admit that or that was actually doing it. You know, there's plenty of people that my daughter in school has come across that really don't believe in God or that don't believe, you know, there's some of the, you know, some of the professors that preach, you know, anti-God, you know, in different ways or, you know, things such as that. So it's, it's definitely sometimes feels like an uphill battle, but we just have to keep, we just have to keep going. And it's up to us as parents, as grandparents, just to continue to press that upon the kids. And whether it's our kids or the kids around us in the neighborhood or the kids in the church, to continue to help them. It's extremely important because I truly hope that America is not going to get to a point, at least in the next generation, where it says the same thing as it does in Judges 2, is that it's a whole generation that didn't know God. So anyway, so just that's kind of what I was, uh, what was laid on my heart tonight to share um, it's something that, you know, had, you know, as I was reading through the books, they really showed like, you know, here were the commands. They seemed pretty straightforward. And then little by little, they just kind of made a concession here and there. And it just led them to a whole situation where, um, where they didn't want to be. And unfortunately, the greatest impact was on the next generation, not that current generation, but the next generation. So any, uh, any thoughts or comments? And I actually am looking at my watch, so... We have plenty of time, so any thoughts or comments or anything else that you guys have seen in those stories? A lot of times we look at those stories, the, the thing that impressed upon me is a lot of times we look at those stories individually, like Jericho or AI or Judges or things like that, but when you kind of read them across, then you can kind of see the trend, you can kind of see the timeline uh, of how it works. So it was definitely something for me to, it was a reminder for me to, to make sure that I stay as close to God as I can, obey Him as much as I can, and continue to impress uh, his word upon, you know, our kids' hearts and those that I interact with. So, um, 